This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. There's a lot of wrestlers that had addiction problems and went to rehab or whatever. And just you, it, that was it. Eddie talked about it. That became part of his life. And Eddie had this very unique uh, ability to connect through the TV to the, to the people. It's Chris Amania, brother. That's a great question. Look at you, man, with the powerful questions. <laughs> Woo! This is the Chris Van Vliet Show. Chris Van Vliet Show. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van Vliet! All right, my friends, welcome back to the Chris Van Vliet Show. This episode is brought to you by Indeed and Bet Online. And I've been chatting with Chavo Guerrero for a while now, trying to figure out the right time to do this interview. And now that he's launched his podcast called Suplexes and Cervezas, now feels like the perfect time. So wherever you're listening to this, you can also find Chavo's podcast. So make sure to subscribe to him if it's your first time here. Make sure to subscribe to my podcast as well. And take a screenshot. Tag us on Instagram. Let us know that you're listening. And tag us so we can say hi. I'm at Chris Van Vliet. Chavo is at Chavo Guerrero. And thank you for these reviews that keep coming in. A lot of reviews last week. Really appreciate that. And I'm going to keep reading one out on every single episode of the show. Shouting you out for free, by the way. Unlike some other shows, the shout outs here are free. Well, they're not free. You have to leave a review, but leaving a review is free. But uh, yeah, leave a review. And we'll, uh, we'll shout you out on the show. The goal is to hit 2,000 reviews by my birthday, by May 19th, which I'm going to be honest. <laughs> As I sit here in October talking to you right now, and we have 1,221 reviews, and I'm looking ahead seven months from now, can we get 779 more reviews? Of course we can. But yeah, I can't do this alone, though. So, and I, I look at the numbers. I, I, I've, I know how many people are listening but haven't left a review. So if you have a few seconds sometime this week, just scroll down on the podcast page, click those five stars and write a few words or write a few emojis. I mean, that's, that's good enough. This one comes from Vince AEW All Elite, who says, amazing interviews. Chris is absolutely great at interviewing and getting everything out of any guest. I've watched and listened to every podcast and I encourage everyone else to do the same. Every podcast. My goodness, Vince, thank you. Wow. Uh, and thank you. Thank you for that review. And thank you to everyone for helping to make this one of the top wrestling podcasts in the world. I still can't believe Vince has listened to every single podcast. I, I haven't even listened to every single podcast. I mean, I was there when they happened. But well, with that said, I really haven't listened to any of these podcasts then. Just kind of listen to the conversation. We edit it and put it out into the world. So look, I appreciate you guys for doing everything that you do to help spread the word about the show and help to make this, you know, such a popular show. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Chavo Guerrero is an absolute legend, and he comes from an absolutely legendary family with the Guerrero family. We talk about what it was like growing up with his famous father, Chavo Guerrero Sr., and his uncle, Eddie Guerrero. We talk about what Eddie meant to him and the legacy that he left behind. We also get into his friendship with Chris Benoit and the last words that Chris Benoit texted to him. And I was really curious about his run as Kerwin White and what the long-term plans were that yeah, were for that because you might remember they like completely abandoned that thing right after Eddie's death. So we talk about, it was actually very interesting where that character was headed. Uh, we also get into his role in Lucha Underground, both on camera and behind the scenes. Now, speaking of behind the scenes, he is a major player in Hollywood now when it comes to doing stunt coordination and fight coordination. But you know what? I'll let him tell you all about that. So please, put your hands together 
for Chavo Guerrero Jr. Chavo, it's such a pleasure to be chatting with you. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me, Chris, on, on the show, the, the infamous uh, Chris show. <laughs> I feel like show. I should start off by saying, ooh, Chavo. Dude, that is so funny because I, when that first came out, and they, they brought that to me. Kevin Dunn brought that to me. That song, I was kind of like, well, I don't know. Should I? Is this all right? Is it good? But since that, I mean, everybody still to this day will say, ooh, Chavo. I get, I'll be driving down the road and I hear, ooh, Chavo. <laughs> So That's so funny. Well, yeah. it's a hit, right? It's it's that thing that like when you hear that, you instantly know who's going to come through the curtain. Exactly. Yep. And there's you know there's a handful of theme songs that have that. You know, I I can't I can't say one two in real life without saying, "Is this on?" Like Triple H's theme. Yeah, yeah, or sure. We hear broken glass. It's always of course every. It's always Stone Cold, right? Anytime I'm at a restaurant and someone drops a, a glass, I'm like, Stone Cold's here. Yeah, exactly. Right, you're going to get a. a, a Three or anytime we used to see uh, three sixteen, like we we joke about that in, in WCW, and we'd see three sixteen, and I'd say check it out. And he'd look three sixteen, and we'd give him like a stunner. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know the woman that sang Uchavo? Yeah, that's um, that's Liz Pena. Liz Pena worked for WWE for a long time as um, she was backstage doing a bunch, bunch of things. So they that's the girl. Then she worked with us on Lucha Underground, but now she's um, involved with some stuff with um, with Seven Bucks, I believe. Oh, wow. Well, that's a pretty good company to be in with then. Yeah, really. I still keep in touch with her. She's awesome. But I, I always say that's that's the travel girl. Oh, no way. And so that's, she's, that's her claim to fame. <laughs> so for anybody who's uh, just listening to this, Chavo doesn't just sound good because he has a good microphone. Chavo's a fellow podcaster. So congratulations to you on that. Yeah, man. Thanks. I'm just breaking in a little bit. I have uh, you know, a few episodes under my belt and more to come. I got a lot more uh, actually recorded, but uh, suplexes and cervezas with Chavo Guerrero Jr. and jump on it and a little different, a little fun and check it out. Well, you've got two. I mean, as we record this right now, you've had two pretty great guests. You started off with The Undertaker. Yep. It's pretty much all downhill after you have The Undertaker, I feel like. Right. And then the Good Brothers right after that. Yeah, for sure. And then I just released today uh, Josh Barnett, part one of uh, two series, uh, UFC champion Josh Barnett, good friend of mine, MMA champion, UFC champion, but also pro wrestler, you know, so... If you, if you listen to the podcast, uh, we went about three hours talking wow. to his house because we were we were drinking his bourbon and drinking my cervezas, my my Los Guerreros uh, lagers. Um, so by the end of the second podcast, we're a little <laughs> we're slurred a little bit. Everybody, <laughs> I'm surprised it didn't happen with the Good Brothers. With the Good Brothers, it did a little bit. But we were on Zoom, so those guys could, like to drink. Those are my boys, man. I love those guys. Those guys, you know, I help break in break in gallows. So. Um, still to the day, they figured it out. They figured out just having fun. You know what I mean? And, and, and they're just having a good time. And that's what wrestling's about. That's what wrestling was for so long. And I, I feel that it's almost being lost to now. It's not, it's almost like these guys are, they're playing wrestling at times and they're, they're not actually having fun. Like, like it's, it's a lifestyle, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's just that, my, that, my, that's <laughs> my opinion. That, that's a really interesting thing to dive into because, there's this whole concept now in 2020 that we all know this is fake. Kayfabe is dead. Where do you sit on that? Uh, okay, so being a wrestler, it's it's not fake. That's 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 the taboo word. Um, entertainment, absolutely 100%. But we get in that ring, dude. I, we hit hard and hard places. And if I don't like you, I'm gonna kick you in the face. And you see how how fake it is. You know, I may lay down for you at the end, but you're gonna work your ass off for it. Um, so we always say it's entertainment. You know, we we hit hard in safe places, but the F word, I just I got I just can't still to this day can't stand it. Being brought up in the business sure. and knowing these guys and how tough they actually were. You know, one thing about wrestling that we kind of figured out was that it's entertainment. Any dollar you make for any sport. It's not a sport anymore. It's entertainment. If people aren't watching, that sport's not around. I use the WNBA sometimes. WNBA, these women are incredible athletes. They're so good. They can, each one of them can outschool me. And I played a lot of basketball in my day and they're incredible. But if they don't have the eyes on it, these, some of these girls on the off season, they have to go to Europe to pay bills. So that just shows you right there, you know, the best MMA fighters in the world aren't necessarily the riches. Um, Conor McGregor. Great MMA fighter. Is he the best? Mm, 
not, I don't, I guess he's been kind of, you know, proven that he's not at the, right now. He's a great one. Yeah, sure. But he's such a great entertainer that yeah. people pay money to see him. That's what we figured out in wrestling. We figured out that, hey, there's no money really in doing it for real. <laughs> when you can tell sure, a story, yeah. that's what that's so that's what I'm kind of getting at there. Um, entertainment, yeah, but the is, idea of kayfabe being dead in the world that we're living in now. Yeah. I mean, when you got into the business, it was very different. Yeah, for sure. You know, definitely. Um, I always, I, I, I compare it to magic. So, Chris Angel. Um, you know, the other, all these other guys, David Blaine, are, David Blaine Copperfield. Copperfield, they're going to say it's, an, it's illusions, but they're not going to tell you this isn't real. They're going to say it's an illusion. So at the same time, when you're watching magic, we all know that it's, it's an illusion. It's not real. Right. But when you see Chris Angel float, you're like, Whoa, what's going on? How is he doing that? Oh my God. And they got you. But the second you see that string, you're like, ah, oh, okay. Okay. Change the channel. Okay. Whatever. And it's the same in wrestling. They know that it's entertainment, that they're not really, they're fighting, they're, they're out putting on a show. But this, and once we can get those people to go, I, I think that's not real, but those guys are really, those guys are really hitting. Once then I got them. But the second that they see the string, which is like the, the, the pro wrestling punch or something that just, that's, that's corny, that doesn't really look real, then people change the channel. So yeah. we always say when I'm wrestling, don't let them see the string ever. They mm -hmm. want to lose themselves. And they're watching a movie. I want to lose myself in this movie. But the second I see that boom mic above you, that takes me right out of the scene. Or if I see like something that's not period correct, let's say, um, you know, a car, uh, it's a 1960s movie and I see a 1985 car in the background, way in the yeah. background. I'm like, oh, dude, you lost me. So it's the same thing. Don't ever let them see that string. And that's, that's the name of the game. So the idea with your podcast thus far yeah. is yeah. it's a lot of road stories. And I, I think that nobody tells stories better in the ring or on the podcast than you do. And you have so many stories to tell. Yeah. You know what? That's kind of why I started this podcast. I, I've been getting asked for years to start a podcast and I'm like, I don't want to. I mean, everybody's doing it right now. And I just, I, I always want to do something different and not kind of follow in the same path. And this was probably three, four five years ago that people were asking me and I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to do it. And then speaking about Luke Gallows, I was at his house doing, um, I think it was the, uh, uh, talk, talk shop, talk shop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, or maybe right before that, I went out there with my wife about a, about a month before and he, me, him, his wife, Luke Gal, uh, um, Mike Knox and, and Haley, his wife, we all kind of all just partied our butts off for about for, you know, all the COVID, the, the quarantine, but we were all in the same house and we just did, it was awesome. Um, but they were like, dude, you, you know, now you're in Hollywood. You know people in Hollywood. You know everybody in wrestling. You got stories that you you know you uh, have been around for so long from different generations. You build things. You're working out all these different things. And I'm going, yeah, I guess maybe, maybe I should start a podcast. They're like, you're you have to like just some of the stories you're telling us. You know, you know, you know Ric Flair intimately and the stories about your dad and Ric Flair and the way he broke in different things. I was like, yeah. I, I guess maybe you have your own beer out. You could have, you know, all these different things. They convinced me. I jumped on the, on the train and, and there you go, man. I'm, <laughs> I, when I do something, I don't do it half-ass. I do it like a hundred percent. So that's where I'm at doing it. Well, I've, I've noticed that in everything you do in your life, not just in the ring, but like I see you promoting this beer and I'm like, you know, you're, yeah. you're not going to, you're not going to create a beer if it's not something that you're all the way in on. That's something that you've got to like be drinking yourself. A hundred percent. Anything I do is, is full bore. Like I'm, I'm really a big proponent in saying that what you do is you're putting your name on anything you do, whether I'm washing my own car or if I'm, you know, building a house, I'm putting my name on it. So if I can't do it like a pro or better than a pro, then I'll just hire a pro. I, just, I won't do it. But yeah. usually I can figure it out and figure out how to do it like a pro. So my beer, for instance, uh, you know, I, I teamed up with this brewery called a Loster Brewery, uh, Loster Brewing Company in, in uh, West Covina, California. And they have this incredible master brewer that was kind of the first to do a lot of the home brewery, home brewing in the 1980s. So he's been around. So I was tasting their beers. So I'm like, wow, this beers are, these are incredible. These are great. I'm a beer drinker. I love it. You know, Me too. Uh, so then um, they ended up 
you know, we went back and forth about a year. We came up with this really awesome recipe and I was really involved in trying it and different things. And, um, and there you go. So, you know, Los Guerreros Mexican Lager from Lasa Brewing Company. It's, um, it, I'll put it up against any Mexican lager out there. I don't care if it's Dos Equis, Corona, Craft Brew. It doesn't matter. This thing, in my opinion, and everybody else's other opinion, that it's, it's pretty damn good. All right, where can I find it around here? Uh, so go to either alasabrewingcompany.com, they can send it to you in California, or um, Craft Beer Kings. Craft Beer Kings is a very big, um, it's not as big as like a BevMo, but it's a big um, just, uh, um, retail outlet, I want to say. Yeah, sure. So they'll, um, you could buy it there. Uh, depending, it sells out all the time. That's the thing with the craft brew. What's cool about it is that it does sell out. What sucks about it is that it sells out. Yeah, <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Do you feel like growing up with the last name Guerrero, you had only one career path that you could possibly follow? You know, I've been asked that question a lot. And I, I think that that's all we ever wanted to do. Me and Eddie, we grew up with a wrestling ring in our backyard. So literally we learned to walk in a wrestling ring and I can't remember ever not being involved in wrestling. Um, so it wasn't like they said, you have to be a wrestler, but it, it's like we, that was a family business back then. We, you know, lived, breathed, ate, slept wrestling. Yeah. So it's kind of, you know, I can't say that they pushed me into it cause they didn't, but that's all we ever wanted to do. We just be like them. Yeah. So who was your father to you when you were a kid and who did your father end up becoming to you as you got older? So my dad, Chavo Guerrero Sr., Chavo Classic, as they knew him in WWE, um, he, my grandfather, Gore, was the original wrestler. Uh, he ended up meeting my grandmother because she went to the wrestling matches to see her brother, who was a wrestler. And they ended up meeting. So I'm kind of third generation on both sides of the family, which is- Wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 So then my grandfather had my father, my Uncle Mondo, and my Uncle Hector, and then 18 years later, had Eddie. Uh, we'd always joke, me and Eddie would joke because he was, we we're both mistakes. He was the <laughs> late mistake of my, of my grandfather and I was the early mistake of my dad. So even though Eddie was technically my uncle, we were three years different, you know, so we grew up as brothers our entire lives. Um, but my dad, man, he, you know, he, growing up was my idol. That period, you know, I wanted to be just like him. Anything he did, I just wanted to be just like him. Uh, to have a superhero type dad, you know, was pretty cool. You know, I always won the uh, the argument like, "Well, my dad can beat your dad up." I, I always won that one. <laughs> yeah, I would guess so. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, you get older and you start realizing that your father, your family, they're you know they're they're human. You know, they're human and you start seeing flaws and chinks in the armor. So as I got older, it helped me kind of see my dad as, as a human, as a person, and you see his flaws and mistakes and things that I didn't want to um, repl replicate, you know? So he was really good about that saying, look, don't do these mistakes that I've done, you know, yeah. live as I say, not as I do. <laughs> Was there ever a point, like, obviously you grew up in wrestling, you got into it very young. Was there ever a point where you went, maybe this isn't for me? No, <laughs> never. I, uh, that's all I did my entire life. Amateur wrestling, you know, working out since I was, you know, 12 years old. Um, you know, any sport I did, whatever, it was just for wrestling. I never once said, I don't want to be wrestling. I was always, I want to be wrestling, 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 wrestling. That's it. And then, um, you know, doing that, doing it for almost 20 straight years and then, leaving WWE when I did, um, I, I never didn't want to not be a wrestler. I think I just needed a break and, and didn't like the direction it was going. And, and there's times that, you know, you just, you need to step away. And I did. Uh, and then, you know, kind of went back to wrestling a little bit and then morphed from wrestling into Hollywood, which is still kind of doing what I'm doing is wrestling, but it's doing it in Hollywood sense. Yeah. You know, so I'm still involved in it. I'm just not, you know, getting punched in the face every day. <laughs> yeah, for those people who might not know, you're on Glow now, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. And you also do a bunch of stuff behind the scenes for them. Yeah, yeah. Anything wrestling goes through me in, on that show. Um, but they're, it's, it's, a, it's such a great show to work for. And uh, we're in the middle of shooting season four right now, but the, with COVID, it's shut down. So I was kind of just sitting at home. I was actually doing a whole nother show too. I was doing... Um, heels that from stars um that was the Stephen amell show um it's a brand new uh 
series coming out. I was actually doing that one also, and that shut down. Uh, since that has come back to film, but I have another very big project on the on the horizon here that I'm getting ready to go film that I will be dropping later once I once I can once I can start talking about. This is so you've got your like I think people from the outside looking in go ah Chavo does a little bit of stuff with Glow and of course we saw him on Lucha Underground but that was still wrestling. No, you're like you're in this Hollywood world. That's all I do now, man. All I do is Hollywood stuff and podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I'd build a house as it now and then, you know, drink some beer, but yeah, that's it, man. Like basically that's it here and there. I'll, you know, I'll do a, a, an appearance, a wrestling appearance or something like that. But for the most part, I'm, I'm now, I now make a living, you know, in the screen actors guild and, and coordinating shows and TV shows and, and movies. Well, that's, that's exciting. Congratulations to you Thank on that you. because Thanks, man. Appreciate it. I think that most people just see Rock, Cena, and Batista doing that, not knowing that there's people like you that are also doing this. Yeah, man. You know, and I, I had a really good compliment from uh, Eric Bischoff, my ex-boss, of course, at WCW. <laughs> and I still, you know, keep in touch with him. And we do a couple of different projects here and there, you know. But um, I was on the Jericho cruise last year, and I was sitting there having a beer with Eric. And Eric goes, man, he goes, you're doing it right. Go, what do you mean? He goes, you have some others that are in front of the camera doing stuff. And that's awesome. But that very short lived, you, mm-hmm. you can only do it a certain amount of time. He goes, you're sitting there behind the camera creating. He goes, you can do that forever to your 90, you know? So I was like, ah, I guess maybe you're right. And he's actually, he's go, he asked me, are you, are you tired of, you know, being on in front of the camera? And I said, no, you know what? I just, I did that. I did it for so long. I love creating. I love being involved and being behind the camera with a director and seeing our vision come to life. I, yeah. I, I really like that. I'm not saying that I'll never be in front of the camera. You're always, once a wrestler, you're always a wrestler, you know? Uh, but I just, I really like creating, man. I really, I want to end up directing. I want to do all that kind of stuff. I re, I've already produced a couple of different things. Um, uh, Lucha Underground, of course, I was a producer on, but um, Dark Side of the Ring, those two episodes with Chris Benoit and Eddie, I, I was a supervising producer on that. Uh, you know, so I've kind of dipped my foot into producing too. So um, in Hollywood, you kind of got to be a jack of all trades to kind of make it a little bit. So Right. So what has the wrestling world taught you that you've now been able to carry over to the Hollywood world? Oh, God, I couldn't do it without, without what I learned in wrestling. Huh. The stuff that I learned from, from Vince McMahon, Kevin Dunn, and all so many people at at WWE got me my foot into the door as in Lucha Underground being a producer on that. And that morphed into glow. And then that being behind the camera morphed into a couple other things. So it just kind of just started snowballing, but really it, it started from learning camera and, and uh, TV from, from Vince. But what's exciting about this for me is I'm watching you do this kind of later in your career. And I think there's a lot of people who are watching this, listening to this right now that are going, oh man, I'm, I'm 33 and yeah, I guess I'm going to have to stay with this job for the rest of my life. You've like reinvented yourself. Yeah, man. They, they say that you're supposed to have at least three different careers in your life from what I, well, from what I hear, you know, so I'm guessing I'm probably on my second career here, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, that it's, um, I was a late bloomer, man. I was always a late bloomer. You know, I didn't really, you know, get strong and tough and whatever till later in life. Some people do it at 17, 18, man. It took me, it took me longer until I I really didn't start wrestling professionally full time till I was 25. You know, that's late for a third generation pro wrestler. Yeah. Um, You know, and everything just kind of came later for me. So I'm, you know, 49 pushing 50 here very soon. And I'm, you know, I'm in the best shape of my life. I feel great. People tell me I look, you know, I look 48. <laughs> <laughs> you look great. Yeah, man. So I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still just, you know, pushing. So I'm just a late bloomer, man. And and for me to be doing this in later in my career, it's still kind of early in my career, to be honest. Do, do you feel better now that you, you know, you're not in the ring? very often at all anymore now. You were obviously younger when you were with WWE, but you're on the road, in the ring all the time. Do you feel like you're in better shape now than when you were in WWE? Yeah, for sure. You know, in WWE, you're you're expected to, at least then, and I, I, don't, I don't know how it is now. I'm sure it's probably very similar. But I was ex- you're expected to perform at such a high level, you know, 250 plus days a year at all times. I was always hurt. I was never not hurt. So it just depended 
how hurt I was. Mm. I, I, the, really, the only times I wasn't hurt is, is when I got hurt and I went home for four months and came back. And then I was kind of healed and then right back to being hurt again. So now, you know, I, I still wrestle. I'm always in the ring doing something, whether it's, you know, training actors or, you know, uh, doing extra scenes or, you know, doing a stunt doubling. I'm always still in the ring doing stuff. So it's not like I'm not in the ring. I'm just not doing it, you know, for a big major company and wrestling like that as much. So I still keep, you know, involved in it because if you don't use it, you lose it. But that's why I still keep my, you know, my, my wits, my senses, my reflexes going strong at all times. You know, I still have gotten sprint and, and do agility drills and stuff. So it's like, you just got to stay on top of it. Well, and you build your workouts into your day, which I think is a really important thing. In fact, we are doing this interview right now in between workouts. You were like, this is, right. this is my free time. I'm going to work out either before or after. Well, I did cardio and then I'm doing this car, this, this uh, podcast, and then I'm going back to go lift some weights. Man, you're a beast. I, you know what? Just got to stay on top of it, man. It's like, what else am I going to do? Sit on the couch? <laughs> I'm going to either do that or play golf. So, <laughs> yeah, Well, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Do you feel like the version that we saw of you in WWE was a more accurate depiction of who you are versus who we saw in WCW or maybe a little bit later on in Lucha? Yeah, I know for sure. WWE, um, you know, they let you definitely explore your character and and refine it and evolve it. And then you're wrestling so much, you know, I was so wrestling, you know, at the pinnacle of my career was really there. WCW, I was still learning and still kind of trying to find that, that spot. And then now, um, you know, WWE, you're just, you know, you, you hit that stride and I was just going and going and going. So that was awesome. But you can only do that for so long and it's either, do you bow out, you know, kind of when you're still good or do you, I didn't want to be that guy that was still coming in and still working. You're like, well, you know, he's, he's missed a step. I didn't want that. Yeah. Look, not only are you Chavo Classics' son, but you share the same name as him. Mm -hmm. So at what point in your career do you feel like you were able to step out and go, no, 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 I'm my own man here? You know, that once you start getting really confident of yourself in the ring, you know, it, it Wrestling is an art form. It took me, I'm a third generation pro wrestler with a wrestling in my backyard and lived and breathed wrestling my entire life. And it took me uh, three years, at least three years wrestling at, you know, almost 300 matches a year. So you're looking at, you say more like five years, not three, about five years. So you're looking at 1500 matches before I really felt like I knew what I was doing. Wow. And then another five years till I had people like Ric Flair, Stone Cold Steve Austin coming up to me going, Hey man, great match, man. You guys tore it down in light tonight. That's 10 years in that's 3000 matches wrestling at the highest level of wrestling. That's how long it takes to master. I mean, you never really master it, but to get really good at this, this art, it takes, it's very, very tough. And, you know, it's guys like, um, Kurt Angle that came in and, you know, we're good in two years. It's unheard of. It's unheard of. Like he's a, just a phenom, but people like that. It's like, it's insane. And he even, even he will tell you, I just did a, a, uh, commercial with him, him and Mike Tyson, Vita Belfort, a couple of others doing, uh, yeah, smart cups for smart cups. Yeah. I just saw that. Yeah. Yeah. So we just did that. And, um, Kurt was, he even told me, he goes, man, he goes, you and Eddie led us, you led us, you know, the first time that we were the first three months that me and Ben while we're wrestling you guys. And I'm like, really? I go, we felt like you guys were leading us. He's like, no, nah, you guys, <laughs> you were leading us. So, um, you know, and then he goes that he goes, I really didn't get hit my hit his stride till he says about five years in and he was already wow. WWE champion. Yeah. This is that whole idea that Malcolm Gladwell talks about of the 10,000 hours. It's like you needed to put in those 10,000 hours until you were able to master this. It's, it's, it's true. It really is. My grandfather used to tell us that you have to do a move 1,000 times before you can do it seamlessly in a match without thinking about it. I just feel like just, just the reaction, just to react to it. Like, so, and I, I was like, oh man, that's a lot of times, but I know what he's talking about now. Cause now that I've done things that many times, there's times that I was wrestling and that I was just, just reacting so fast and then leading somebody else in the ring and leading the referee and playing to, you know, the camera without thinking about it. And next thing you know, like, I was like, wow, how the heck did we do that? You know, and then hung over, you know? <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> I like, oh man, I just, it just was just 
it just came second nature. I didn't even have to think about it anymore. Now it's a little bit different because I'm a little rusty, but being in that ring, that they'll just, I wouldn't think about it. It wasn't like, okay, I should I do this? I just knew. I knew what the what the match needed. I knew what the fans wanted. I knew what was going to make my opponent look good and make me look good. It, it's second nature to you. Yeah. So if if we look at your career 10 years in when you really started hitting your stride, which matches would it have been? Which feud would it have been? Um probably right after Los Guerreros. Uh, when me and Eddie were doing his stuff, you know, that was, that was such a great time in my life, but a great learning experience also to be able to tag with Eddie and just see how seamlessly and flawless that we could move together without even thinking about it, but then going off on our own. So I would have to say probably that my feud with Ray Mysterio, that's when, uh, really started, um, getting that stride and then going on to CM Punk, going on to Chris Benoit, going on to people like that. That's that stride really started coming, you know, um, it, it, it just, it took a while. It takes a while just because you start wrestling a new guy and you're at that point, you still have to be able to gel with him. Yeah. It took me and Chris, you know, uh, a month or so before we really started. I mean, we felt like we were, people thought we were having good matches, but we, he and I knew that we were such perfectionists that we could do better. And then it would come to the point to where we got out of the ring and we would just like, go, like, man, that was awesome. Oh, dude, that was so great. You know? So it takes, it takes time, man. Did you feel like, you know, you were obviously tagging with Eddie. Did you feel like when you guys did split up and do your own thing, because you were together as a tag team, because you share the same last name, that there were comparisons like you to Eddie, Eddie to you? Yeah, well, for sure. They were always compared to each other. You know, my grandf- my father got, always got people hating on him saying, well, you'll never be as good as, as, as your father. Eddie got it. You'll never be as good as your, you know, your, your brothers. I got it. You'll never be as good as Eddie. So Eddie once told me, he goes, Hey man, just be you. You're, he goes, I I've heard it. I've now, I won't be as good as him. You won't be as good as him. You can't, they're just one of that person. Yeah. He says, just be you be the best child girl. And that really kind of helped me like, Oh, you know what? Kind of screw everybody else. Go out there and just do your thing. Yeah. With the legacy that you have in your family, with the legacy of just the Guerrero name, what was the conversation like when they pitched Kerwin White to you? <laughs> there was no conversation. I got <laughs> off the plane in Japan and it was, uh, I came to, came to Raw and I had uh, Vince McMahon looks at me and goes, oh, hello, Kerwin. And I'm like, okay. What is this? So what's going on? Well, today you're going to uh, you're going to denounce your Hispanic heritage and you're going to become a white guy. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I have two options. You either say no and possibly go back on the back burner for a while or get fired, or you say, all right, let's do it. You know, and at the time the political climate was different. And I I, I literally told Vince, I go, if we're gonna I had a meeting with him, I said, look, we're gonna do this, let's do it right. I'm supposed to be a brown guy playing a white guy saying, this is how you white guys are. And they're saying no. So I had the, the, the Hispanics hating me because I was denouncing my Mexican heritage. I had the whites because I was making fun, kind of making fun of them. And they're like, that's not how we dress. I'm like, oh, yes, you do. You know, and then I, I told, I, you know, and I, I, I was saying, you know, if it's not white, it's not right. And, you know, you know, I had Caucasians going, you know, that's not the way we are. So that's exactly how you are. You know, so I had everybody hate me and a true heel wants everybody to hate them. And then I, I told Vince, I go, look, at, at the end of the day, I want to come out on a white sheet. And he was like, oh, yes, I love it. Now, of course, we never, never end up doing that. It got, it's got too risque, a little too racist for a network. Like a KKK sheet? I wanted to. Absolutely. Wow. I wanted to come out. I was like, I, I grew up from in the time of, of wrestling that the more heat, the better. I wanted to fight my way back to the, to the, uh, dressing room every night. I wanted to have to sneak out the back window. I wanted to be in the streets and people, yeah, we hate you because that's heat. That's what I wanted. I didn't want them going, Hey, look, there's Chavo. Hey, what's up? An autograph. I want them to look at me and go, God, we hate you. And still to this day. And that was, I was a heel. That's what you have to do as a heel. Yeah. Yeah. Still to this day, I'll have people on Instagram, social media, contact me and say, you know what? I really hated you when I was younger. When you made Rey Mysterio quit, I hated you. And they're like, I get it now. And I'm like, well, thank you. I was doing my job. And they said, I understand now. But at the time, they're like, I hated you so much. I'm good. (laughs) That's what I wanted. I wanted people to hate me. That was my job. So, um, you know, it was, 
if I was going to do it, I was going to do a hundred percent. Like I do anything. So, you know, we never got to that point, but I was ready. I would have. How long did you end up? I mean, it was pretty short lived, but how long were you Kerwin White? Not long, man. It was probably about six months. Uh, I was Kerwin White until the day Eddie died. Yeah. When Eddie died. We had that. We had. We were in a, in Minneapolis for a super show, uh, Raw and SmackDown show, because the whole crew was going overseas to Europe the next that night, I think, or maybe the next morning. And um, after Eddie passed, uh, you know, Vince actually Vince Triple H, Shawn Michaels all came to me at Eddie's hotel room, and we're in the hallway, and they're like, "What do I do?" Vince goes, do I cancel the show? I'm like, absolutely not. Eddie would never have wanted you to cancel the show. The show must go on. We have So they to left this the decision to you. Well, I can't say that I made the final decision. They wanted my opinion on it. Wow. You know, I, I, that, you know, I, and whether he would have taken it or not, it's up to him. It's his show. But I told him, no, you don't do that. Absolutely not. You whether you do a tribute show or whatever, we, 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 the show goes on and I want to wrestle. And he was like, all right. And I came out that night with the, as child guru with blonde hair. Wow. How difficult was it to wrestle that match that night? Um, you know, I was guided. I felt that like Eddie was there with me and I was guided through it. Uh, then I, plus I had JBL wanted to wrestle me and, and put me over. Um, so, you know, he's a guy that loved Eddie. You know, I loved Eddie. We all did. Um, so, you know, it, the fans were behind you. It was like I couldn't do anything wrong that night. I look back at that match. It was just super special, man. Super special. It was getting in that ring and just performing. And uh, Mick Foley, I think maybe a couple weeks afterwards, he wasn't even with the company. But when I saw him somewhere, he goes, Chavo, he goes, when you climbed up for that frog splash, at the end of that match, and you hit that frog splash one, two, three. He goes, that was such a special moment. And I was like, wow. I was like, I, I, dude, I was just, you know, you're on autopilot, man. And I mean, that really changed the, the direction of your character for sure. You know, you went from Kerwin White to instantly, not just Chavo, but like almost, almost this like, it was like a, you were paying tribute to Eddie and to your family name as well. Yeah, for sure, man. That, I mean, that's when I adopted you know, using some of Eddie's moves, you know, before you, I would do them as, you know, as a dig, like, you know, to get heat. Yeah. Anytime, you know, anybody else does a, you know, if you do a, a, a pedigree, the first people time people think is they're going to think triple H, you know, if you do a, uh, you know, people's elbow, the way he does, rock does, you're going to think it's, you know, it's, it's rock, um, you know, RKO, Randy Orton, you know, Took him a while to not have the diamond cutter, you know, as DDP. But you can yeah. think of RKO, right? But so you don't want to th think, you don't want to do the move and have them think of another wrestler. But with in this case with Eddie's moves, the three amigos and the frog splash, I want them chanting Eddie. Still to this day, they'll 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 do it. Every match I have, I get an Eddie chant. Every yeah. single match. Even though sports may have taken a little bit of a break in 2020, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, and you can pause your account at any time, and there's no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire that you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. And right now, Indeed is offering listeners of our show a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. So go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. And the wait is over, my friends. We finally have 
football again. Now, you may not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure that you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off by wagering on wins, division, and championship futures. You can do it all day. Every day. So head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. There's been lots of wrestlers that have left us, but Eddie has left this like legacy. What do you think it is about him that people still, 15 plus years later, are still talking about him? Great question. Great question. You know, Eddie was an incredible perform- performer. Sure, we get it. Great wrestler. Awesome. But the thing that Eddie had is that Eddie was, he was a, he was a two-dimensional character. And when he was just Eddie Guerrero, guy in a little rider coming out, okay, whatever, you know, doing his Hispanic type thing. But then when Eddie got fired from the WWE for addiction problems and lost his, his wife and, you know, ended up really hit rock bottom, lost his job, lost his family, lost his house, lost everything. He hit rock bottom. Um, and for him to make that comeback, he was, he became this three-dimensional character, this character that, People would look at him and it wasn't just some wrestler now. And I was like, hey, I'm him. I have those mm. problems too. I have those. And, we, and Eddie was very open about it. And even on his promos and stuff, would talk about that. It wasn't like he, there's a lot of wrestlers that had addiction problems and went to rehab or whatever. And just, you, it, that was it. Eddie talked about it. That became part of his life. And Eddie had this very unique uh, ability to connect through the TV to the to the people he wore his heart on the sleeve and and you saw that so uh when eddie was on camera on tv you felt his passion and it's very difficult to do and not very many people can do that and i don't know if eddie could have done it if he didn't have all of what all the stuff that happened that went through him in his life but that's my opinion why eddie is still so beloved and remembered He's like the most likable bad guy ever. He, you know, he does every he does every heel thing. He lies, he cheats, he steals. We're not supposed to like him, but it's hard not to like him. Yeah, man. He just people saw how good he was, you know, and, and you know, he they they just saw the passion that he had for wrestling and for life and for family and for everything, and that resonated through the t- the TV. Is there anything that Eddie taught you or words that he said that stick with you every single day? So much, man. So much in and out of the ring. You know, um, my my Christianity for sure. Uh, just, just every like life lessons. You know, family, um, wrestling. You know, things that you still remember to this day. Like, you know, he would say, "Hey, man, keep going." He goes, "I remember. I remember one time he and I were tagging, and I was upset about something." And um, he goes, "Look, man." He goes, "I was you." Because when I was tagging with Art Bar and we were Los Gringos Locos in um, in Mexico, he goes, this guy was more over than me. He goes, I was weird. I was a third, second generation pro wrestler, whatever. This guy was getting all the praise. He's like, man, I was mad. He goes, cream always rises to the top. Just keep going and keep pushing your ability from what he said, your brilliance, your, your charisma, it will come through. And sure enough, it did you know whatever um but he was like just just stick with it man he was like i I know because i was there yeah well you you were so close with eddie uh Mm -hmm. you're obviously so close as well to chris benoit like both so close to both of them in their final days and on their final day did eddie's because he was a family member did eddie's hit that much harder than benoit's um that's a great question. And I, I don't know if Eddie's hit harder. He's harder because he was my, you know, my brother. But, you know, Eddie sometimes had the weight of the world on his shoulders and he felt that. So when he passed, you know, I was like, okay, like that's all. It was almost like, you know, he was called home. When Chris passed, it was just a different story. The circumstances behind that, 
was very, I'm still struggle with that one to, to, to this day. That's mm. still, I mean, still, still tough. And if you guys saw, you know, Dark Side of the Ring at all and, and kind of see how it affected us, man, it affected, it was so just tragic, you know, the circumstances behind it just was, um, you know, I just, they were just both different, but man, the thing with, with, with Chris is just, it's something that still bothers me. Do you think about those texts that he sent you? Cause I guess, you know, you were one of the last people that he communicated with, or at least attempted to, do you think about what those might've meant or what, what had happened there? Yeah, I know exactly what happened. I think, you know, I think that he's texting me after, after everything really happened, after everything went down, after his, his, the passing of his, you know, and I'm trying to say it as PC as possible. Sure. The passing between his, of his wife and his, and his son, he was, he was texting me going, Hey, this is how you can find me. Hmm. I think he texted me probably right before he um, committed suicide. So I had uh, his son, I had David on the show earlier in the year mm-hmm. and I feel like it was very therapeutic for him to like speak about this. Cause he's, you know, kept it bottled up other than dark side of the ring in this conversation. He hasn't talked about it a lot publicly. Right. He's looking to get into wrestling. What do you think about David wanting to follow in his father's footsteps? I want him to, I would love for him to do that. Um, it's tough because he looks so much like his father and it's something that, um, you know, like, man, it, it, it sucks for him because he, he just got played uh, just a raw hand, you know, he didn't do anything wrong, but yet he still suffers from the consequences of his father and the, the circumstances that, that are surrounded his death. And it's such a poor guy, man. He still, you know, he still gets it. And, you know, he, he's probably like me. He just wanted to be a wrestler too, you know. With him, it's something that it, it's kind of the balls in his court. He's going to, if he wants to, he's going to have to, you know, we, we lived, breathed wrestling. That's all we did. This, any job I had was to be a wrestler. You know, I could have passed, I passed the time doing stuff and making some money as a bartender or a waiter or whatever, but it was to be a wrestler. That was it. It wasn't like, oh, I'll see if this happens. No, it was like I was training all the time, still working out, still in the ring, doing stuff like that. I feel like, unfortunately, it's a tough, it's an uphill battle for him. Number one, obviously, because of the last weekend of his father's life. But number two, Chris Benoit was one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. So he has such huge shoes to fill in terms of his actual wrestling prowess. Yeah, he'll never fill those shoes. You can't fill shoes of Chris Benoit, of a Bret Hart, of a Shawn Michaels, of an Eddie Guerrero, of a Rey Mysterio. You just, you just can't. You can just be you. You know, look at Dominic Mysterio right now coming out. Is he Rey Mysterio? No, you know, but he's kicking butt. He's Dominic. And I tell him the same thing. You just, man, just be you, be you. He's being sheltered right now. He's being, you know, led and, and protected in WWE. There'll be a time that he won't have that protection around him, that he's going to have to be himself. Um, you know, just be himself, be, be, be him. Did you know that Dominic was going to get into the family business, if you will? Yeah. You know, I saw him, you know, even as a kid, he, he really loved wrestling and he did some stuff with us in Lucha Underground and I we saw him training, you know, he was doing the training thing where that went, you know, who knows, you know, sometimes you have all the best intentions and, you know, circumstances happen. Uh, but he did it, you know, he kept kind of kept at it and the right time, right place. And, you know, Ray was back in WWE. It was perfect. And I think that he's not going to get as many of the same comparisons to his father because, I mean, there's an obvious difference in stature there. Well, yeah, you got, you know, Rey Mysterio at five foot four. You have Dominic at six two plus. So yeah, you, he, he, it's impossible to do Rey Mysterio stuff. You know, uh, if Rey Mysterio was two inches taller, he wouldn't have been Rey Mysterio. If he was two inches shorter, he had the, the perfect blend, you know, the perfect combination to to be who he was. I always hear like, you know, the next Rey Mysterio. No, there's one, <laughs> there's one. And that is it. He's one Rey Mysterio and he's super special. So now you have a son coming out uh, without a mask. So right now it's, he's going to be a little different right there. Um, so he, he'll find his way. It took, it, it took time. You know, when I first started, you know, I was doing the moonsault like my father and doing some of the, my father's moves, you know, just be yourself, man. You, you'll get there. Yeah, you mentioned Lucha Underground, and I was a huge fan of what you guys did in Lucha Underground. 
At what point did you realize this thing's officially done? Because it kind of like petered out and then never got picked up again. You guys were all in limbo for a while. At what point did you go, yeah, this is, this is done? You know, gosh, man, after the first season, I was like, gosh, this thing is incredible, man. I was so happy how we kind of changed. We didn't change wrestling. We changed the direction that we were going in wrestling. We, we went a different a direction that nobody had gone before. Um, and, and still to this day, people use some of the, the techniques that we used in Lucha Underground and they're applying them to their shows, which is a great compliment. Um, but man, you know, God, second season was great. It was right away. Third season, man, we took about a year off. I'm like, hmm, we can't, you know, take a, you know, your season off, you know, a few months and come back. I get it. But you just can't do that. You're going to lose people. And then by the fourth season, I started seeing like the writing on the wall going, you know, when you get too many billionaires involved in a project, the reason why billionaires are billionaires is because they don't like to spend any of their own money. They like to spend <laughs> other people's money. Uh, so it's like, man, I've just seen how this thing, I was like, man, we have such a great product here. Something totally different. It's an hour. We have storylines. I mean, we kill, it's it's TV show. We kill people on TV. You can't kill wrestlers and we killed them, you know? Um, but it, it just was, you um, these just so many guys were just it was too many chiefs and not enough Indians, you want to say, you know. And I hate that, you know, stereotype and you know, nothing against my, too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, there you go. Nothing against my 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 native brothers. But it's kind of you know, it kind of was, you know, you got too many bosses and they yeah. were they'd, you know, arguing about this, didn't want to argue about this, and you know, didn't come back at certain times and you, you, people just forget about you real fast. Even though it was a TV show, it was still wrestling. You, the wrestling fan, you had to, you know, if they would have found something else. Yeah, it was, it was special though. It was mm-hmm. really special, like you said, because it wasn't just a wrestling show. It was a wrestling TV show. I went to a taping right. and it, it didn't feel like a wrestling show at the taping. It was like we were audience members, which was so cool. How amazing was that, right? The taping and like the the... The, the the fans, the, it was so amazing. Like just just that, and it was only four hundred people there. You know, if that three eighty plus, but it's just the electricity in there was just yes. metal. The fans were so great. There was just such a great part of it, and they all wanted just to be a part of that product. So, if we look at your entire career, can you pick out your favorite match in each stage? So, we'll start with with WCW. Gosh, so that's so tough. We had so many matches, so many great people. Um, WCW, you know, was it something with me and Eddie? Was it something with me and Ray? Was it something with me and, and you know, Gregory Helms at the time, Shane Helms, Sugar Shane Helms? Uh, yeah, God, you know, that's, that's, that's tough. I hadn't hit my stride yet, so, you know, uh, that's a tough one on that one. But if you start going to WWE. Yeah, we'll go into WWE then. I'm sure WWE, it's the same people, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, you know, I... There's so many different people that stood out, you know, you know, Russ and Kane, Undertaker, CM Punk, Eddie, you know, all the top, the top of the top. But I think Eddie and I, when we were kids, we wanted to be the tag team champions of the world. We didn't talk about being the heavyweight champions or the, you know, the cruiserweight champions. We always pretended that we were the tag team champions and we would, we would be in the backyard wrestling ring with, you know, my dad's and one of his brother's belts, you know, the tag team belts. And we'd pretend that we were the champions and, you know, you know, role play that back there. So when we became the WWE tag team champions at uh, Madison square garden of all places, survivor series against Ray Mysterio edge and Chris Benoit and, um, Kurt Angle, the, the SmackDown Six, what they used to call us. Yeah, you know um, that was super special, man. That was something that that we kind of achieved that that goal. After that, we made other goals. We made other um, like aspirations that we wanted to be. We wanted to be heavyweight champions. We had to move up and and change, and we both achieved that. You know, so I think uh, um, that was probably the pinnacle. I. Th- I mean, we, I went different places for sure on that, but just super special was that, you know, what about, I mean, you didn't spend a ton of time in impact, but do you have any memorable matches there? Yeah. Tagging with Hernandez was was fun, man. Impact was tough because I came into a, you know, organization that I, 
I thought had a, one of the best rosters in the world. And I thought, I really thought we could compete with WWE. But then when I really saw what, what impact was about, and, and this is impact then, I don't know impact now, but back then Dixie Carter's impact, it was a play toy for Dixie Carter. It wasn't meant to compete with WWE. So it was very frustrating. You know, we really wanted to do well. And I could see how people like, you know, you know, Frankie Kazarian and um, um, Christopher Daniels were, were disgruntled and and frustrated and in the back, you know, because they want, they felt it too. They felt that we could really do something great and we weren't allowed to, our hands were tied. So with impact, man, I, I, I don't know. Um, some stuff with, 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 I just had fun tagging with, with, uh, with Hernandez. Okay. Some good stuff, you know? Yeah. What about Lucha Underground? Lucha Underground, man, was cool. I love just being behind the scenes in Lucha Underground. There was a time when I was agenting and run, I was running around that place, especially the first season. I'd be stretching for my match with headsets on, calling the match and telling the director what the match is going to be and watch this. And then, okay, hold on a second. Take, take the, the headsets off, run out to my match, go wrestle, come back sweaty, so put, the, put the headphones back on and go right back to agent. Wow. Yeah, man. So that was, that was awesome. You know, stuff with Ray, I think Ray and my dad was kind of cool when uh, he came in and, you know, um, hit me with a chair to get me disqualified and you know, Dario Cueto would, would continue the match and, you know, it was like a loser leave Lucha Underground match. That was, um, I think probably the best. Look at I, I, had, I, I had a, I had a match with, with Ricochet he was Prince Puma at the time, and we were get, just getting into it, and I ended up tearing my, my hamstring. And so that was like a, man, a what-if match. And I thought we could have really torn it down. But Look at all the stars that Lucha Underground made. It's oh, yeah. mind-blowing. I mean, Ricochet and Cage and Sammy Callahan, and I mean, the list goes on. Lucha, Jeff Lucha Cobb. Brothers, you know, Cobb, Jeff Cobb, Lucha Brothers, you know, Pentagon and Phoenix, you know, guys like Matt Cross, guys... Like, you know, basically the whole roster. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. That Thunder Rosa, yeah. Yeah, all this. We had so many people there that were just so good and were so raw at the time. You know, I remember getting, you know, like, like Pentagon, Phoenix, and um, Drago, those guys, and going, hey, guys, how long have you been wrestling for? They're like, oh, I've been wrestling 10 years. Okay, well, hold on a second. Do you know we're supposed to play that camera right there? <laughs> and they're like, no one ever taught us that. I said, guys, stop, slow down. The camera is chasing you. Stop. Go to that camera. Make that camera shoot you. I go, we have the luxury of editing here, like, you know, and, and splice it together. You, you guys go to WWE, and I'd always talk about that because I know where the pinnacle was of, of wrestling was. I go, when you guys make it to WWE, it's live. You have to stop. And I remember having this, this conversation with Shane Strickland. I go, dude, you, you got, you have to, tell the camera where to shoot you. And they're like, wow, like, I, I didn't know, you know? Um, so having a little, and among others, you know, Conan, Vampiro, but having a little uh, bit part in helping those guys yeah. find themselves. It's, I see them now on AEW just killing it. And it's so awesome to see them, you know? I, I have to admit, Chavo, as a kid growing up in Canada, my first real exposure to Spanish was through you and Eddie. Yeah, man. <laughs> I didn't know what Viva La Raza meant, but I said it all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny how we got, you know, all these. It really started with in WCW with Conan. He'd say Arriba La Raza, which means like, like, like translate like raise the race. But we'd say Viva, like live the race, which means it's like a, it means like, a, you know, in America, it'd be like, you know, remember the Alamo or something like, a, you know, Viva La France. It's kind of what it means, you know. Huh. Uh, you know, but for Hispanics, but, um, yeah, we'd say that all the time and just, we'd have everybody, you know, say Viva La Raza or call us beaners or something. It was great. <laughs> it was well, awesome. Like, yeah. You know, it, yeah. I mean, we do, we would do our Spanglish versions, you know, for sure. It was great. I, I, I didn't know what these meant, but I appreciate it because I didn't get, you know, Canada is very multicultural, but I didn't get like a real introduction to that except for you guys. It was like, it was really nice to see that. Yeah. You know, I, I still, to this day, I have people coming up to me, like, you know, other Hispanics and going, Chavo, uh, thank you for doing what you did for, for Hispanic, for our culture. You know, we, we don't have a lot of people out in sports or in Hollywood or whatever. And we had you guys, you guys and Eddie, you and Eddie, your family, thank you for representing us. So when I, when I started getting that, when Eddie started getting that, 
man, we like had to change our decisions. And we were like, not just representing, like making decisions for ourselves. We were kind of making decisions for big following, like a race, you know, in a sense. And so we definitely, we had to, you know, step back and say, okay, we, we have to be role models. I would, I didn't plan on being a role model. I just wanted to be a wrestler like my family, but to be a role model and have people look up to you is like, um, all right, it's a responsibility. It's great, but it's definitely a responsibility. Well, I mean, I don't feel like you, you didn't have to be a Mexican wrestler. Like, sure. You were from Mexico, but you didn't right. have to be a Mexican wrestler. You could have just been Chavo. We could have given you another wrestling name. How important was it for you to like play into your heritage? Very, very important. You know, growing up in, in first El Paso, but here in, in Southern California, you know, man, as a kid, I, I wanted to be a white guy named Mike. I, I really remember telling my mom, going, mom, how come, how come I don't have blue eyes? You know, but then as I got older and I saw how awesome it was to be, you know, Mexican American and I, I, I embraced it. I really embraced the the heritage and the, the, being proud of it. You know, then I saw my, my, you know, white Caucasian friends and they say, hey, where are you from? America. I said, no, no, where are you from? Oh, well, I think we're German or something. I'm not sure. And I'm like, what do you mean you're not sure? Yeah. I'm Mexican, you know, I mean, Mexican American, I'm American a hundred percent. And I was born here. I'm a, like a fourth generation you know, American, but we still embrace our heritage, you know, where we came from. And they're like, oh, wow. I, I didn't know that, you know? And so I saw how really cool it was to kind of really embrace that heritage. So that was, that was very important to me to, to represent them, embrace that in wrestling. And still to this day, if you see the stuff that I do, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's still Rasa, it's still representing them. Well, it must be easier though. Like you, not only are you tied to your heritage, but you also speak a different language. I think for someone whose grandparents, great grandparents might be from Ireland or Germany or something, they just don't feel like they have that same connection. Yeah. You speak, you speak Spanish. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's something that my, my family was very big on continuing, you know, making sure you did it. Um, you know, in my house, my household, my mom and dad, we spoke English, but I get around my grandmother and it was just Spanish, you know? So, um, definitely being introduced that really, really helped being, you know, bilingual. And I just think that, that the, the culture, I, I loved it. I loved you know, just the, the fam, the very strong family ties in that. So it's something that I just embraced and, and, and still to this day, love it. Do you speak Spanish with your kids? Not really. My kids are pretty white. (laughs) 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 They're pretty white. You know, they got the grill last name, but they're, you know, they're blue eyed and, you know, they got the dark hair, but they kind of had the best of of both my, me and my wife, my wife's uh, um, like an Irish German, but uh, so they're, you know, they're Orange County, these poor guys. <laughs> like the real housewives of OC. It's, that's where I live. I live in those, that, those cities. I see them around all the time. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, it's kind of funny, right? You know, um, I kind of just migrated south, south Orange County a little bit. And it just, I, I live in that OC bubble, we call it. <laughs> Look, it's been so great catching up with you, chatting with you. You... I said at the start, but it's so true. You are such an incredible storyteller. And, and that's what Suplexes and Cervezas is all about. So wherever people are listening to this right now, they can find Suplexes and Cervezas. And man, you've got many more guests on the way. Oh, yeah, man. I got some big ones coming up here. You know, I got a, a Raven Stereo in the future. Uh, right now, Josh Barnett Part 1 got got released. Um, I won't spoil too many, but I got some I got some good ones in there. You and Ray is going to be epic. Oh, yeah, man. That's that's a good one. You can see the video on my Patreon, which is Patreon slash Chavo Guerrero. Uh, I'm sorry. No, we do Patreon slash Suplexes and Cervezas. Uh, that's where I put all the videos on there. But um, yeah, man, I'm just having fun doing that podcast right now. You guys can check me out on Instagram at uh, Chavo Guerrero Jr. On Twitter at Mex Warrior. And, um, you know, check out my beer at Alasa Brewing Company, Los Guerreros Mexican Lager, and Superplexus Cerveza Podcast right now. I'm a big brew, a big beer guy, big craft beer guy. Is this a brewery that I can actually go in and like they would serve me a beer? 
Yeah, absolutely. Oh, there's not many of those in California. Well, so no, that one, they, that one's a great one because they have all their great beers on tap and it's, they, and they, they revolve, they revolve seasonal for sure, you know? Uh, but yeah, you can go on there for, they have two different locations and one in West Covina and one's outside of West Covina. Uh, but it, depending on what, you know, the COVID restrictions are right now, um, yeah, you'll be able to go in there and, and have a coldie. They're great, man. Tell them I sent you. I will. Chavo Guerrero. Thank you so much. Chris, thanks for having me, brother. Appreciate it. And uh, I'll push this on my my social media to you and, and push your stuff, man. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. All right, man. God bless. And Thank viva you. la raza. Well, there we go, my friend. Chavo is awesome. And right after we recorded this, I was part of a secret project with him about a week later that you'll be seeing... I'd say relatively soon. And I'll be able to talk more about it then. But for now, we'll call it The Secret Project. And as soon as you see it, you'll be like, ah, that's the thing that he was talking about. Uh, Snap a screenshot. Tag us on social media so we know that you're hanging out with us on this one. I'm at Chris Van Vliet. Chavo is at Chavo Guerrero Jr. And you know, I often get asked which wrestler I'd love to interview that isn't with us anymore. And the answer is always two people. Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit. And it's crazy to think that Chavo was the closest person to both of them. So I kind of feel like interviewing Chavo, I mean, it's obviously the closest we can get to interviewing them now. That's kind of how I feel. And I also get so nostalgic anytime I talk to someone who was part of Lucha Underground, because I think they had really, like they had something so special there. And we've talked to a bunch of people from Lucha Underground recently, like Sammy Callahan, and John Morrison, I guess most recently. I mean, we've talked to a ton of people from Lucha Underground, but every time I talk to someone from that, I'm like, ah, oh, man, it, it was good. It was so good. And if you haven't watched it yet, I'm sure you've heard all about it from people that have watched it. But I highly encourage you to just, I mean, just check out a few matches and you'll be blown away. It was something so, so special. I'll leave you with this. As Walt Disney famously said, first think second dream, third believe, and finally, dare. Mm. Be great. Be grateful, my friends. Enjoy your weekend. We'll see you next week.